So tonight, we get to kick off our Chi Alpha Relationship Series. Now, um, this is an exciting time. Amen. It is. This is like, this is one of the best things that I get to preach on like all year. I love it. It's it's absolutely relevant to where you are because what I know is that for um, 99 out of 100 of you in this room, you are looking for um, the one. You are looking for the one that you are going to marry and spend the rest of your life with. This is, listen, the stats just say this. Um, You came to college and uh, a degree was on your mind, but your number one desire is to actually find a lifelong mate. Nothing wrong with that. I would say the degree takes you four years to earn. A lifelong mate takes you a lifetime, right? So, hey, keep seeking for the right thing, man. Search after that lifelong mate. Search for that marriage partner. It's going to be awesome. I promise. I can say that. I'm married. So, um, hey, a lot of, I want to give you guys a book. Um, This is a book by Gary Thomas called The Sacred Search. And uh, it's what we've called our relationship series, and I just got through reading this book, and um, man, it is, it is phenomenal. I, I will tell you this, this book is worth your time, energy, effort, it's worth the investment in your future marriage. If, if single Heath had read this book, I would have immediately been a better married Heath. And so I, I would just encourage you to make the investment now, um, jump in there, buy the book, do the reading. It's, it's going to be great. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is pulled directly from this book. It was just that good. I was like, man, we have got to tell our people about this stuff. There's no way they can get through college and not hear some of this. It's just that good. Uh, but there's so much more gold in there than I can give you in 30 minutes to an hour on a Tuesday night. So I would encourage you, jump into this book. Go find it. Go buy it. Whatever it takes and, um, and read it. It's going to be good. The tagline for this book and kind of the tagline for our relationship series is this. What if it's not about who you date, but why? What if it's not about who you date, but why? And so as I start tonight, I need to set a little foundation here and just go uh, and just let you know that everything I say is going intentionally going to have a Christian twist. Everything that I say, everything that I teach is is going to be centered around a biblical model, a biblical example. It's gonna it's gonna have um, uh, it's gonna have the Bible in it somewhere. And um, these are biblical ideals. And here's the thing: I know that not every one of us in here is Christian. Maybe uh, I, I know not every one of you have read the Bible. Some of you aren't even sure if you believe in the Bible. I, I would say this: that's okay um, if you are wise enough to take the things that we believe God has said and institute them in your relational life, I promise you, it'll make you a better wife, it'll make you a better husband, it'll make you a better son, better daughter, it'll make you a better parent one day. These these concepts are universal. These concepts are awesome. And so when we as Christians ask the reason, why are we going to date? Um, And this book is great at pointing this out. He says, um, we do, effectively, we do all things under Christ. We want to honor the Lord in everything that we do. And we think our dating relationship should fall underneath that umbrella. Everything we do should honor the Lord. Maybe for some of you tonight, you're like, man, I didn't know my, my dating relationship could even fall under the umbrella of honoring the Lord. Is that like 
How does that work? Is that fun? Does that exist? Do people do that? And my answer to that question would be absolutely. And, and it does happen. And it is fun. And what's more, uh, it, it is uh, extremely profitable. And, and we'll throw some stats out here in a little while to kind of let you know um, why that is. But here's the thing. Tonight, as we dive into this relationship series on this discussion about relationships, um, we're going to start with the single you. And some of you guys are like, oh man, that's awesome. I'm awesome, you know, so this is going to be a great night, right? And then some of you guys are like, that's scary because I know me, right? And, like, and I'm not sure if I want to talk about me. Like, I love talking about my ex and like how they, you know, they were just, man, they were possessive and they were mean and, and you know, and like she was always clingy and like we're real good at pointing out the bad and everybody else that we used to date, Right? But we forget that the common denominator in every one of those bad relationships was me. Right? We had something to do with that too. It takes two to date, doesn't it? Right? And so we have to be willing to look at us as well. So if your relational past is littered with hurt or pain, then you have to consider what part you played in creating that hurt or that pain. It can't all be their fault. It takes two to be inside of a relationship, right? So I just want to kind of open this up. Um, Point number one, if we hope to do relationships better, then we have to pursue God's wisdom on how to be better in relationships. If we hope to do better, we got to be better. And here's the good news. We asked you guys a a question when we were tabling at ASU this week. I'm just curious, how many of you guys answered the question while we were tabling out there? We had the, you know, what age do you want to get married kind of thing. Um, So, hey, real quick, everybody put your hands down. I'm just curious, how many of you guys are here because we were out there? Just real quick, like you heard about us and, you know, we invited you at that point. Okay, very cool. So, um, So, here's what I figured out. Here's the good news. Even if you don't feel like you're good enough for a relationship to go really well, um, the good news is, we asked you guys, what age do you want to get married? 18 to 21, 22 to 25, 26 to 30. Most of you were in this like 22 to 30 range, okay? Um, which means you've got a little bit of time to figure this out, okay? So between now and when you get married, you've got some singleness time to, to figure this whole gig out. So the question is, how do you maximize this singleness? And I would say this. Most of the women seem to have this like 22 to 25 age range where they're like, yeah, I'd be ready to get married about then. Most of the dudes were like 26 to 30, okay? And, and, I, and I think, I was just thinking about this earlier. I was trying to figure out why that is. And I think it's just because the women are smarter. And they're going to figure this out quicker than we are, guys. Like you, got, you, you women lack a Y chromosome and you just do this better. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but since you've got some time being single... The question tonight is, how do we get ready for success in the area of relationships and ultimately marriage? Because here's what the stats tell us. Stats in America tell us this. 50% of the, of the marriages in America are going to end in divorce. 50%. And, and I won't ask you to do it, but I've asked this in years past, and it's just proven true that if I were to sit here and say, okay, hey, um, raise your hand if, if your parents, your, your biological birth parents are still together, um, there would be less than half of this room would raise your hand. And l- let me just be clear, um, you're the Christian kids on campus, right? 
you're the ones that are probably supposed to have the better homes for some of you. And yet still, there would be less than half of this room raise their hand. That's just not great odds. Like, let me put this into perspective. Because most of you are like, hey, I want to get married after age 22. So for most of you, you're probably thinking, I want to complete college first, right? And then maybe I'll look at getting married. And, and so that's kind of in your game plan. And that's not a bad game plan. And so, you know, but let me ask you this. Um, how many of you came to ASU because it was cheap? That was me, this guy, okay? I was like, this is awesome. It's way cheaper than all these other colleges I was looking at. I don't really want to go into that much more debt. Let's go to ASU, right? So I came to ASU. Now, what if you came to ASU and you came to tour the school and they were like, hey, listen, um, ASU is a great school. We're actually a lot cheaper than a lot of the other schools you're looking at. So here's the gig. Um, it's about four to five grand a semester. You're going to have a four-year degree plan. So, you know, eight semesters, five grand a semester. It's going to cost you about 40 grand for your, for your college degree. That's about what it's going to cost you. And, um, you know, so you're going to have a financial investment into your degree. And then, not to mention, just the time and the energy that you're going to put into your degree. You're going to make a lot of investment to, to earn your bachelor's degree. But here's the gig. At ASU, we are cheaper, um, but there's a 50-50 chance you won't actually get your degree after four years of that investment. How many of you would take that gamble? Nobody. And yet, literally, every year, I watch people enter into relationships and marriages that I know haven't done anything to bridge the 50-50 gap of their marriage actually making it. So here's the question. Do you do that before you're married or do you do it after? Well, science would say, if you're wise, you will do it before. And you guys have some singleness, some time to invest in your future relationships now. Because I see people who jump into relationships all the time. They invest thousands of dollars into a marriage. They invest lots of time. They invest energy. But here's the kicker. Relationships require one thing the degree doesn't. It requires your heart. And they'll invest their hearts with a 50-50 shot that that relationship will actually make it. See, you can choose the wrong college to get your bachelor's degree from, and it'll only cost you a couple more years of graduate work, and you can fix that mistake. You can make a bad financial decision, a bad investment, and you can recoup that bad investment by making wise financial decisions after that. But when you make a bad relational mistake, it costs you in a way that I would say only God can help you recoup what was lost in that. Because when you give your heart, it costs you something that quite honestly, most of us are not equipped to heal ourselves. So we lose something there that we have to rely on the Lord to restore. <clears throat> and here's the deal about, me about making a bad decision when it comes to marriage. God doesn't give you an out. Like, God doesn't say, hey, about eight years in, we're going to reevaluate this whole gig, and we're going to see whether or not you should stay married. It's not the way it works. Now, God says, you're in this thing till death do you part. Till death. That's a long time, hopefully, right? Um, <laughs> and, and listen, as I say this, you know, this probably doesn't, 
this probably isn't the case for many of you in here. There's probably not a lot of you in here that are in bad marriages, okay? Um, but I'll say this. Some of you have witnessed bad marital decisions, and you've seen how they've negatively impacted your families. And I've watched Jesus move inside of bad marriages to make them beautiful, okay? I'm a pastor. Dude. I get to coach people. I get to counsel people. I get to preach to people. I get to see God move in, in phenomenal ways, and make bad marriages really great. But wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't have to go through that? Like, what if there's something that we can do now to keep us from the heartache of having to go through years, possibly decades, of a bad thing just to get to something beautiful, like we all hope for? So tonight, I want to dive in to not just how to date, but why we date. And not just how or why we date, but how do we prepare to date? How do we invest wisely now so that the lifelong investment of our heart actually pays off in ways we want it to? See, my hope is for each of you that you would have a better marriage than your parents did. My hope is that your kids wouldn't have to deal with the same emotional baggage that you've got handed down from your broken family. My hope is that you will notice some things now that could have caused bigger problems later. Song of Songs says this, catch the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard. And the writer's literally telling her friends, help us do this thing right. We don't want to mess this up. So tonight, I'm I'm just trying to help you do this thing right. Like if you're in a life group, you're surrounded by friends that want to help you do this thing right. And, and, And most of all, I want you to recognize that the God that we serve is for you in this area of of relationships and dating and marriage and your singleness. He's for you. Listen, God is not the parent who wants to have the awkward sex talk with you. Okay? He like this is point number two. God is your eternally wise heavenly father that has done his best to set you up for success in this area by giving you his word his spirit and his people his word his spirit and his people god is for you so let's jump into god's word let's just look at the very beginning where god created man and let's take a look at some of what god had in mind genesis 1 27 through 28 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply everybody say multiply you guys want to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish some of you guys are just not getting that some Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you keep reading, what you'll find out is that Genesis 1 is written in song form, okay? It's it's not this timeline of events, but rather it's an idea or an overview of of creation, celebrating all that God made. So in Genesis chapter 2, we get a little more detail about creation, and Adam is created first, And then in Genesis 2.15, God instructs Adam like this. He says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Everybody say work it. It's not twerk it, it's work it. Okay? Very different. All right? Um, So here's what we see. Before there was sin, before the fall, before a relationship between Adam and Eve existed, a single human, Adam, created by God, through God, for God, 
was assigned responsibility. Point number three, before relationship begins, responsibility was assigned. Is assigned. I would say that is assigned. I want you to look at the wording used by God in his instruction to Adam, who is single at this time. He uses these kind of words. Subdue. Dominion. Work it. Keep it. Think about this. Subdue is used used elsewhere in the Bible. It literally means to conquer or to master. Dominion. It's where we would get our word dominate or to rule. Work it. That should be self-explanatory, but just in case it's not, um, it's not what you do on a dance floor. Working is something you do to build something into a better state. Keep it. Maintain it. Maintenance is an act of love and appreciation for the blessings that God has brought your way. So you see, before Adam became a steward of another child of God, before Adam became a steward of Eve, another child of God, Single Adam was given responsibility for some things of God. And what we know is that Adam's house was in order. He, he dominated in this area. He took charge and conquered in this area. Genesis 2, 19-20 says this, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man who's Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. We'll explain a little bit more into this, but here's what Scripture doesn't say. It doesn't say God came, and came down to hang out with Adam, give him some animals, but before God could, could bring him animals to rule over, God had to help him clean his house. He didn't say... Hey, Adam, we should really um, wash the dishes before we invite someone else over. He didn't say, hey, Adam, let me help you take out the trash because the animals are just going to ruin this. If you've ever had a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So, no, God comes down and he finds Adam doing exactly what Adam's supposed to be doing, taking responsibility, subduing, taking dominion, working it, keeping it. And God assigns responsibility, and Adam dominates. And then we see God bring Adam a wife. You see a pattern here? So tonight, just for the sake of illustration, I want to present to you my box. Now, this is just any normal little box. Any of you guys who are fans of Amazon will recognize this box. Um, You probably got one just like it in your living room, right? Um, So this is my box. I don't know if this is going to stay up here or not, but we're going to give it a shot. So this is my box, okay? This box represents everything in my past. This is who I am, and the truth is I've been packing things in my box for a very long time, kind of like you guys have. And although my box has nine years worth of like marriage stuff in it, there was a time when my box was a single man box, okay? And it had single stuff in it if that makes sense. And my box started out in that single box getting filled up by me and by my choices. And here's the deal. Your box is your box. And what's in that box belongs to you. And since we're in a relationship series, I want you to understand that the stuff that's in your box stays in your box unless you pull it out. And there's nothing in your box that you didn't put in your box. 
You've got to take responsibility for what's in your box. The, the, the stuff that's in there is yours. But one day, when you decide to move from single to dating, somebody's going to want to unpack your box and find out what's in that box. So what we want to do tonight is build the box. We want to figure out how to take dominion over what you've been given. We want to find out how to put the right stuff in the box, to do the right stuff with what God has given us, do the right stuff with what's currently in our box, so that someday when somebody else peeks in, they're actually attracted to our box. Does that make sense? Because how many of you know, like you can meet the hottie with a body, right? And then they open your mouth and you just want to run. Right? Yeah. That's false advertisement, yo. Like what I thought I was getting, I did not get. I need a refund. Anybody ever been on that date? Okay? Like I don't want you to be the cause of that date is really what it boils down to. But here's the deal. I don't just want for you to look for somebody attractive. I want for you to become attractive. Does that make sense? We spend a lot of time looking for the right person, but do we spend much time becoming the right person? So let, let's talk about attraction for a minute. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I would say, men and women, this works both ways. I recognize this verse is addressing men, but ladies, you would do well to pay attention to this as well, because you know as well as I do, men can be charming and it's deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. Listen, We all know and we've watched people, both men and women, who get sucked into this trap of being deceived or that have bought into fleeting beauty. And the initial attraction to someone, which is usually built off charm and beauty, it normally lasts less than 18 months is what the scientists will tell you. I would say this, for you as college students, I think it's far less than 18 months. I think you get about six, right? So if you're charming and beautiful, you got about six months that you can trick somebody into liking you. That's really what it boils down to, okay? <clears throat> the attraction for you guys seems to fade much quicker than just the general public. But the goal of marriage isn't to grow young together, right? When beauty is at its peak. The goal of marriage is to grow old together. And that's an attraction that focuses on something totally different than charm and beauty, which are deceptive and fading. So maybe the attraction we're looking for and the the attraction we actually want to possess to become great marriage material actually has less to do with our charm or our beauty and has more to do with something else. See, here's the deal. I've watched some guys in Kyle who'll be around a woman for, for like months and never even notice that she's there until one day they walk in and they see her like hands raised, worshiping the Lord, singing like an angel. At least that's what they think it sounds like, right? And there's like a halo around her head and there's like, you know, it's like there's a glow around her and they're like, wow, did you see that? Yeah, dude, she's been here since August. Where you been? And then, all of a sudden, he's interested. He's attracted, right? Same thing. I've watched ladies around here not give a guy the time of day. He's like trying to hang out with her. He's hanging out with her friends. He's at all the same hangout places that she's at. You know, and she's just not that interested until one day they notice this guy like leading a life group. He's discipling dudes. He's tabling like a boss. People are getting saved with this fool. He's making disciples. 
He's leading others, loving others. Man, he's loving on the Lord. He's learning. And suddenly, this dude becomes hot, right? And she's like, where'd that guy come from? And they're like, he's been here since August, you know? Like, same thing. <clears throat> Guys, I'm going to give you a freebie here, okay? Um, you want a date? Go work in your local church's kids' department. Go work in the kids' ministry. Women love a dude who's great with kids, Okay? I'm just saying, that's, that one's free. Here, here's what I've noticed, point number four. Those attributes that comprise godliness, they actually breed attraction. But here's the flip side. I've never seen attraction breed godliness. So when we're talking about growing old together, Does it seem more important that you are attracted to them in beauty and charm or that they have some character traits that make them really attractive because character grows, right? What we know about looks is that like noses keep getting bigger, stomachs get bigger, muscles get smaller, things sag, everything sags (laughs) over time, okay? But character Character will grow. And character breeds attraction. Attraction doesn't necessarily breed character. So what are we looking for? What do we want to be? How do we, how do we build this box? How do we work this, cultivate this, dominate this, so that we can be a good steward of what God has given us now in our singleness? And, and honestly, how can I help you with this? Well, to help you with this, we're going to roll through a portion of scripture that's really written to the church, but that if you don't figure this out, you'll never get marriage right. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we're gonna read through this, and then we're gonna just gonna break it up a little bit verse by verse. I'm gonna give you a list of things to look at that are gonna help you in your singleness. Um, Ephesians 4, 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's me. He gave me you, okay, he gave you me, to equip you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead... Instead of being like babies that can't stand up, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That's Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, let's break this down real quick. Ephesians 4.12. To equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's what you got to recognize. Your future spouse is or should be a part of the body of Christ. So maturity in Christ leads to service and mature. Spiritual maturity leads to service and marital unity. If we are equipped for works of service so that we may build up the body of Christ... We will be equipped for works of service towards our spouse, who is also a part of the body of Christ. Learn how to serve, and you will find 
it'll, it will, service leads towards marital unity. Next point, a spiritually mature person is an emotionally stable person. A spiritually mature person is an emotionally stable person. Now, here's the deal. Okay, I'm not saying like you can't ever cry, okay? Like even you dudes, like, you know, there's sometimes I cry. I watch This Is Us with my wife and I cry, okay? He's got like daughters that he loves and I just think of my daughter and I'm like, I want to be a dad like that. My wife's like, are you crying? No. Okay, yeah, okay. You know, who can watch Pursuit of Happiness and not cry? Amen? Come on. Sometimes you just need a good cry, right? I had a pastor used to say, if you don't cry, your head swells, okay? Hold it in too long, your head swells. So sometimes you just need to let it go emotionally. But let's just be clear. If your box is full of emotionally bad days, like if every day is a bad day, there's a problem. We would not call that emotionally stable. If every, if every day you walk, like people have to walk around you like they're on eggshells because at any moment you could go off, you're a ticking time bomb, that's not what we would call emotionally stable. At the same time, think about the person you date or have dated. If everything you say or doesn't say just brings the waterworks and causes a meltdown, that's a problem. If every professor is out to get them, they're failing because my, none of my professors like me. None. I got six classes and all of them hate me, right? Listen, a spiritually mature person is an emotionally stable person. And there's something about being emotionally stable that helps you recognize you ought to serve those that you love. If you're always worried about your own disaster, you'll never be worried about the problems of others. Right? Next point. A spiritually mature person is willing to make his or her own selfishness the root cause of discord. Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. You should go buy that one too. It's a great book. Um, I didn't steal that quote from this book. I stole it from one of his tweets, okay? Tim Keller is like, he's like a mastermind, Okay? And, and this, is a little bit, um, this is a little bit worded differently, but a spiritually mature person is willing to make his or, ho- his or her own selfishness the root cause of discord in a relationship. Have you ever thought about that? If both parties in a relationship were just willing to say, you know what, I'm just being selfish, let's do it your way, would there ever be a fight? And I'm not saying you got to be a pushover, because if they love you and you love them, you want what's best for each other, and it's not just you giving in to them, but they want what's best for you as well. And let's face it, if we weren't selfish and wanting to fight over having it our way, there would never be any discord in the relationship. Spiritually mature people, they get this. So if you can't seem to get along with others now, it's going to be really tough to get along with your spouse later, who gets into everything. Okay, like when you get married, they are all up in your business, right? So, and, and there's no stopping them, okay? You live with them for years and years and years and years, and they will get in your stuff, okay? So, you got to figure it out now. Um, let's do this. B, marriage is for grown-ups, and grown-ups act grown-up. 
Marriage is for grown-ups, and grown-ups act grown-up. Verse 13 says this, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Listen, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is something we're looking for. It doesn't mean they got to be perfect, but it does mean that we're growing. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth, blown every which way. So basically, what Paul's saying here is you can be a baby or you can be a man. You can be an infant or you can be a woman. You can be a little child or you can be grown up. There has to be a maturing process. And we say this a lot around here. We pick on the guys because I put a lot of the responsibility on the dating and the marriage relationship on the men, intentionally so. And, um, and I say this all the time. Dating is for men, not boys. Dating is for men, not boys. And I get it, ladies. There are a lot of boys with beards running around trying to holler at you. I, I get it, okay? But, but take a peek in their box, and you ought to see some manly stuff in the box, all right? Just because they can shave don't mean they're mature, right? We take a look in their box. We find out if it's all good or not, okay? Um, and let's face it, it's, it's direction, not intention, that determines where you end up, right? So we all have good intentions. Everybody wants great relationships and someday a great marriage. And, and, and so we want somebody to share a life with. We all want to be happy in our relationships. And, and I'm glad that you want that. But the question is not, what do you want? The question is, what are you doing about it, right? Because what you're doing. The direction you're heading, the steps that you're taking will determine where you end up and whether or not you end up in a relationship that's actually enjoyable or not. Good intentions don't get us there. So the question is, are you willing to change your lifestyle? Will you let the Holy Spirit begin to transform your attitudes and your personality if necessary? Will you change the direction of your life? Will you let the Spirit of God convict you of immaturity in your life so that you can become a mature grown-up? And here's the thing. If you're not acting grown-up in some areas of your life, it doesn't mean you can't. It just means you need the Lord's help to mature in those areas. For some of you, that might just simply mean repenting from some things you need to get out of your box, okay? And, and then putting some new things in the box, Right? And Jesus is willing to help you to do that. Now, here's the truth. I'm a 37-year-old grown man with gray in his beard that still lacks in, like maturity in some areas of my life. If my wife were here right now, okay, she'd be saying, amen. <laughs> All right? She'd be agreeing a little too much. My wife is a, sta- is a saint for, for sticking with me at, at certain times, okay? Because I can get in one of those moods where I can pick everything apart. If you've hung out with me for very long, you know I can be a perfectionist and I can drive people up the wall with it. And I'm driven like no other. So if I'm in a mood and it's like a bad day, I can pick and pick and pick until my wife wants to cut me, right? (laughs) And here's what it looks like. It looks like me getting tossed back and forth depending on what day it is. It looks like, you know, on those days when I'm in a mood, does my wife really know what to expect out of me, right? Is there a maturity in there that, that, that 
lets, me, lets her know what to expect out of her husband. I can't allow my circumstances to dictate my attitude, right? See, that's how my sassy three-year-old acts. <laughs> and it's cute at times, but, but it's not cute when I act that way, right? Um, we'd say this, next point, infants are incapable of marriage because they can't give or serve. Paul's talking about infants here. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there. It, the picture that he's giving here is a, is a boat. We're going to call it your marriage boat that's being tossed back and forth in a storm. And let me just be real. The, the storms in marriage will come. Okay? When you make a marriage vow, it's for better or worse, rich or poor, sick and health, right? So there's storms and trials and ups and down in, in a marriage. And the question is, are you going to be the infant that can't stand up and serve others in the boat when the boats are rocking, or are you going to be the one that's tossed around? You see what I'm, where I'm coming from here? So do your circumstances get to dictate everything in your life and how much you're willing to serve? Or are you the person that when the circumstances get rough, you get your footing and you get ready because somebody around me is going to need some help? Because one day, your spouse is going to need your help. Listen, ladies... The strongest man in this room that you might marry one day is going to need your help in a way you never imagined one day. And if the catastrophe of the moment breaks you, it will break him more than you, more than you can ever imagine. Not necessarily because his faith is in you, but because he thought you were for him. More than you were the circumstances he created for you. Does that make sense? Men, same goes for you. One day, the woman you marry is going to need you to be strong for her in a way that you never imagined. Listen, I will say this. Marriage makes you holy. So do kids. Kids will break you. <laughs> and so there are times whenever I turn to my wife and, and, and I just simply need her because there's an emotional drain called a two-year-old <laughs> that is tugging on my heartstrings with an infant in the other room. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's just real life, right? And it's, and it's really nice to know that in my boat, in my marriage boat, I've got a wife next to me that I can turn to and go, I just need some help right now. And I got a strong wife, y'all. She's awesome. She's mature. She helps. Um. Just a word of caution to some of you. Some of you have never known a long-term relationship. And that's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I'm not saying that you necessary, necessarily should have had a long-term relationship by this point. Maybe you're intentional about saving yourself for marriage, right? Which is honorable. Thank God for people like you who aren't carrying around a ton of baggage from broken relationships. There's not so much junk in your box from past relationships that you're having to work through that before you can ever think about dating somebody else, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some of you who seem to jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, and you know what? Sometimes it's because, well, man, when things get tough, when the boat starts rocking, I'm just out of the boat, Right? Sometimes it's because you set your standards like way too high. And, and you should have high standards, but they must be biblical standards. And some of you have standards that aren't even biblical. Like God would be like, I didn't create anybody like that. Good luck. 
You see what I'm saying? But, but every time something goes wrong in the relationship, it's their problem and it's their issue and you're ready to bell because it was their fault because your standards were set up here way above what God himself set for your, for your spouse, right? Um, <clears throat> if all you ever do is break it off when things get tough, you're missing an opportunity to grow up and to learn how to stick it out when things get tough. Now, you're missing an opportunity to build the muscle to learn how to work through conflict inside of a relationship, what it's going to take. It's going to take working through conflict to, to make and build a great marriage. And, and what some of you don't realize is that when you break up and you date and you break up again and you date and you break up and there's this vicious cycle, it's actually just preparing you for divorce. And I'm not saying you don't have the freedom to pick and choose what you like, because you do. God has afforded you that. Please, find someone that you like. Find someone that you are compatible with. If you don't like them, don't date them, okay? I don't care how much character they got. <laughs> like, if you don't like them, just get out, okay? Just say no, all right? Don't even mercy them. Don't even go have coffee with them, right? Like, it's okay. But there really is something to be said about sticking with a relationship when times are tough. And I'm, I'm not talking about when it's clearly obvious that you need to break up. Because some of you guys need to hear that in the case of abuse or sexual sin, if you're unequally yoked, is what the Bible would call it, you're a Christian and you're dating someone who's not, it's time to break it off for any of those reasons. You don't stick it out through that stuff. You get out. Okay? For the rest of us, Let's look at our relationship as something that could actually last and lead us towards marriage. And if you can't pursue the relationship like that, don't pursue the relationship. If you're not ready to be married, you're not ready to date. Dating is meant to lead to something that we call marriage. It's like step one in the process. Don't start down that path unless you're ready to be married. Okay. Next point. What we call cute in kids... We call disgusting in adults. Remember, marriage is for adults, right? Marriage is for men, not boys. So, I've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old daughter right now. My house is full of fun. And it's kind of funny because my daughters are cute as they can be. They're these little petite, little, you know, like, they're like 25 pounds. And, you know, they're just cute as they can be. And they have figured out that they can fart. And they think it's really funny when they're sitting in daddy's lap to fart on daddy. <laughs> and you're all laughing right now and you're like, oh, that's kind of cute, you know? Like, you know, that's because you ain't getting farted on. Um, <laughs> but here's the flip side. I'm taking my wife out on Valentine's Day. I've already got a date planned for that night. And if I take my wife out for dinner that night, and I'm in the middle of the restaurant, I jump up real quick, go sit in my lap, in my wife's lap, and just rip one. It's funny now, but you ain't the one that's going to walk home. See, immaturity is cute when you're a kid, but when you grow up, you got to put some things aside, right? 
I actually heard of a guy one time that within his first year of marriage thought it was a good idea to uh, run by his wife and fart face level on her. She never thought that story was funny (laughs) at all. We'd say this, maturity is not defined by age, but by the acceptance of responsibility. Listen, here's what I'm talking to you about. There's got to be some maturity in this box. Before you become attractive and before you become marriage material, there's got to be some, some, some maturity in this box. Look at verse 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, listen to this, as each part does its work. As each part does its work. There's work to be done. We are expected to accept the responsibility for the work that needs to be done. We'd say this in this area. We submit to the authority of Christ first. He is the head of the church, which both you and your spouse should be a part of. And may I submit to you gently and lovingly that if they cannot submit themselves to a perfect Christ, if they have a hard time submitting themselves to a perfect Christ, they're going to have a really, really hard time submitting themselves to an imperfect you. So you got to look in the box. Is there a submission to Christ that is evident in their life? If they won't submit to a perfect Lord, they're not going to submit to an imperfect husband or wife. Because they will know all the dirt. And they'll pull it out at just the right time if you ain't careful. But the truth is, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in our relationship. It all goes back to submitting to Christ first. Not, marriage is about giving and serving and sacrificing and loving and submitting to one another. It's what makes the best marriages. And listen, guys, in case you've misread the scriptures, it's not just about the wife submitting to the husband. Go back and read the whole chapter. It's about mutual submission to one another. In fact, if you read the whole chapter, if you suck as a husband, she's not going to submit to you. That's literally what the scripture says. It's, it's that simple. It's a mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Is there evidence of them submitting to Christ in their life? Um, we are, we're able to speak the truth in love. This is a real sign of maturity, that you can talk like a grown-up. If your friends have a hard time understanding you now, you need to work on your communication skills. Communication is going to be key in your marriage. And you've got to be able to have the hard talks with your friends. You should have some friends in your life that you can have the hard talks with, even when it's hard. Nobody likes calling anybody out, right? But if you love someone enough, you'll bring it up because you recognize that if they do this, they're going to destroy their life. If they do this, they're making a mistake, and I love my brother too much to keep my mouth shut during this instance. And you've got to be able to speak with both grace and truth in that instance, with love. If you can't figure it out now, it's going to be really difficult to do in a marriage. Um, 
We'd say this, we naturally grow, build, and work. This is something you want to see in their box. Do they naturally grow, build, and work? Um, That goes right back to God instructing Adam to work it, to keep it, to subdue it, to dominate it, right? Like, there's an expectation that what you've been given as a good steward of that thing, that you were actually growing the thing, you were building the thing, you were dominating the thing, okay? So... um, if you go back and read the parable of the talents, God gives so many things to, uh, in, in the parable, the, 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 uh, the ruler gives so many talents to the, um, the people, okay? And they return with what they've earned with what he's given them, okay? And the picture is that God has given you some things, and he's expecting for you to do well with them. He expects for you to work those things. The guy who just buried his stuff in the ground and returned it to the Lord later, the, the, uh, the Lord was like, uh, no, bud, kick him out. He's done. All right? There's an expectation to work it, to earn it, to subdue it, to dominate it, right? to build it. That should be kind of a, a natural thing that you see throughout their life. Um, okay, 4D. Here's the thing. I'm about, I'm about to roll through some points here real quick. And um, I've given you some blank lines on your paper just so that you can begin to um, write down anything that comes your way that maybe hits you between the eyes, okay? So I'm going to rattle off some stuff, and if something, if I say something that, that, that just impacts you in some way, write it down so you can think on it later. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. We're going to roll through this real quick. We're running out of time. But these are signs that you've got some growing up to do. First one is this. You're currently on pace to be... To still be living with your mom when you're 30. You laugh, but you know it ain't that uncommon. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that as a total slam. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some circumstances out of our control. You lost your job. There's mental or physical disabilities. Um, maybe, you, you know, you're caring for sick family members some stuff like that. But let's face it. Nobody wants to marry a 34-year-old dude who lives in his mom's basement and plays Halo all day, right? Um, if you're eating, if you're sitting in your underwear and eating Lucky Charms for dinner, there's a problem, okay? So you need to, you need to grow up, all right? Move out of mommy's house. Um, here's another sign. If you've never had any kind of job for more than six months, it's a sign of immaturity. Um, because here's what that tells me. You probably don't know how to work. You don't know how to set an alarm. You don't know how to wake up to an alarm. Like, you don't know how to get up in the mornings. You don't know how to show up. You don't know how to do a job and get paid for it, okay? There needs to be some responsibility and some stability in your work ethic, okay? And if, and if, you, uh, if you've never had a job for more than six months, that can be problematic. Um, if you're unable to pay your basic bills each month, that's problematic. Now, here's what I know in college. That doesn't necessarily apply to all of you. Some of you are like, I live in the dorms. They charge me a whole lot of money, Nobody can afford that mess, you know, so um, like you're going into debt for that or maybe your parents are helping you out, Um, but soon enough, you're going to have to pay rent and you're going to have to pay to keep the electricity on and you're going to have to pay a phone bill and, and, you know, you want heating and air conditioning and kind of some of the basics that we think of, right? And, And if you have to ask for help from mom or dad every single month, there's a problem. Right? If you're always broke, there is a problem. Um, another sign. If as a general rule you lack self-control in your life, you've got to grow up. If this lack of self-control is in your box, you've got to take care. Listen, think of, 
Think of this in terms of, um, of sex. Think of this in terms of food, um, entertainment, video games. Let me just ask you this. What do you spend the most money, time, or energy on? And do you lack self-control in that area? Um, if your relationships look more like a roller coaster than a marathon, right? <laughs> Some relationships are defined by the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. And sometimes you just need kind of a stability to exist in some of your relationships for a while. If you always play the victim, there's always a conspiracy theory. The universe is constantly against you. You're always looking for an out, for it to be someone else's fault, someone else's problem. If you're always playing the victim, there's a problem. Um, If you tend to speak negatively of other people, especially when they aren't there, Listen, that might have been cool in junior high. It's not anymore. We have to take care of that issue. We would call it honor. We honor others, not speak negatively about them. Um, If you're plagued by jealousy, this is a major sign of immaturity. Um, If you're overcome by jealousy every time your boyfriend talks to another girl, that's problematic, right? Um, If you have trouble finishing stuff, You're in your second semester of college, you've yet to finish a book, a paper, you know, a commitment, a relationship, I don't know. That's a big deal when it comes to marriage. You've got to be willing to finish stuff. You've got to pull your own weight in this area. Um, next, if you're completely crippled by debt. Now, I know that some of us have to go into debt for certain reasons. Um, things like school debt, some stuff like that, maybe something that you're looking at that, that you're, that you're looking at right now, but I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about the credit card that you racked up and still haven't paid off because you keep spending, right? Um, you can't turn down anything you want. You just indiscriminately spend. Um, if you want it, you find a way to go get it. That, that, that's, that represents a lack of self-control and immaturity. Um, if you can't say no, That's a sign of immaturity. Here's the truth. Marriage by nature requires you to say no to thousands of other opportunities and thousands of other possible mates so that you can say yes to one for a lifetime. Saying no is a big deal. Saying no is a big deal. Um, If you fall in love too fast, how many people have you told that you loved them in the last three years? If you fall in love after every first date, it shows that you still lack some emotional security. There's some insecurities that you're trying to fill in your dating relationship that need to be taken care of, right? If there's a lot of I love yous in this box that didn't work out, there's a problem you need to look into. The Lord can help you there. Um, I know, dude, I'm like smacking some of y'all right between the eyes. I love you. I really do. I would, I would just rather tell you this stuff now than in marriage counseling one day if we're just being honest, okay? Um, All right, how about this? If your relationships are too physical, um, you know, first date, you expect to kiss when you drop her off. Second date, you're making on on a couch. And, you know, third date, you're doing a human pretzel by 2 a.m. I I don't know. Like, (laughs) if if your relationships are too physical... Sign of immaturity. (laughs) 
And here's the last one. Um, I've mentioned it a little bit, but you have a problem with authority. You have a problem with authority. You can't stand anyone telling you what to do. That's going to start with Jesus, but that also, uh, I, I would ask this of any person that I date. Ask, ask them this question. Who can tell you no, and you just believe it? You just trust that it's a no, because they said it's a no. That someone in your life loves you enough that whenever they tell you no, even though you really want it, even though you think it's a good idea, even though you feel a certain way, the second they tell you no, it's a no, because you trust them, and you, you've submitted to their authority. See, the truth is, um, you're committing to be with a mate that you're committing to submit to for a very long time. And um, there are going to be times when you should submit to their authority, no questions asked. I'm a pastor, and my wife understands the authority that she has over me in this room. There will be things that I will not say from this stage because my wife told me not to. Does that make sense? You just got to trust them because you know that they love you and you know they want what's best for you. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that's our list. So as we close out here, all right, when you're single, Build the box. When you're single, build the box. Listen, when you're single, build the box. Clean the box. Market the box. Like put yourself on the market as available when you're ready. Right? Build it up. Make it attractive. Do the thing. This is what we see out of Adam before he's joined together with Eve. And and man, Adam is busy working it, tending it, cultivating it, dominating it, subduing it, and, and God shows up in the garden and, man, you know, here's the truth. We get the feeling that, like, these unexpected visits from God were, like, the norm for Adam. God would come and stroll through the garden, as was kind of their custom, right, to come through and hang out with Adam. And, and you know, he, 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 it's like God was the friend of Adam that just kind of popped in his house whenever he wanted to. Anybody got that friend? <laughs> you come home after classes and they're, like, sitting on your couch. Hey, dude, you know, <laughs> like... I feel like that's Adam. Adam's like, you know, I'm going to go name some animals. He comes home and God's like, hey, bro, you know, like, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, we know from prior verses that the relationship was obviously there between God and Adam. And God had spent time with Adam while he was off working and naming animals. And God gave Adam the tour of the garden, pointing out the one tree that Adam couldn't have. And, you know, here's the truth. Obviously, God knew Adam well enough to know exactly what Adam wanted in another woman. And what I'm saying here is this, single Adam walked with God. There was a relationship there that existed long before his relationship with Eve. So I've called point number five this, single, not solo. Build the box, do the thing, work it, subdue it. Take dominion over it. Build your box. The second thing is this. Walk with God. You're single. You're not meant to be alone. Adam was single. He was not alone. See, I told you earlier that stats will tell you you've got a 50-50 shot of getting your marriage, 
of getting your marriage right if you do it the way everybody's been doing it for years, okay? Here's the flip side of those stats. Somebody did a more succinct study, succinct study on this because what they found was that the divorce rate inside the church was the same as the divorce rate outside the church because when they asked the questions, they just said, hey, are you Christian? Yeah, sure, I'm Christian. Okay, have you been divorced? Yeah, I've been divorced. But let me tell you the flip side of those stats. When they did the study and they asked questions like this, do you go to church regularly? Are you a member of a church? Do you read your Bible? Do you tithe? Some of the evidences that you are actually a Christian, when they asked those things and then they asked, have you been divorced? The percentage of the marriages that made it was 98.2%. That's phenomenal. Do you see where the wisdom of God deserves to be all about this box? Do you see where the wisdom of God and walking with God is going to set you up for success in a way you've never imagined? That's unreal. Here's what I know, though, okay? If we're just being honest, some of you guys are sitting around in here, and if the band's here, you guys can come on up. I'm, I'm wrapping up. Um, some of you guys take a look at your box and you're like, Heath, um, you don't know my box, dude. My box is ugly. It's got Amazon tape on it. It's got all these stupid stickers from past relationships and places that I've been like, you know, DFW and, you know, stuff like that. My box is ugly, Heath. I'm not sure anybody would ever want my box. I don't even know what I want my box. I was talking to my wife about this last night, actually, and you got to understand, okay, um, my wife and I didn't, neither one of us did relationships right until God got a hold of us. We'd never handed this over, this area, I had never handed this area of my life over to the Lord until I was almost graduated from college. Um, My wife didn't get saved until she was a freshman in college, and so there was a lot of baggage um, that was there. And um, I was talking to my wife about this. And, and she was reminded of this story that, um, that, that a district official within the Assemblies of God who, who were under some, some pastors who were kind of upper, you know, upper level guys in, in the district. And um, one of the pastor's wives was speaking at a women's retreat. And she, she began to talk about some morning walks that she would take and she, she has this, um, she's kind of like artsy and, you know, like just really able to kind of take things in. And, and she really appreciates what the Lord has designed and what the Lord has, has, uh, has given her to enjoy. <clears throat> she was talking about going on her morning walk. And as she goes out, she looks at things that, that, you know, the Lord has created. And she just blesses God for those things and the beautiful flowers or the fall leaves or or whatever the case may be, and as she walks along, you know, like, sometimes she'll find change on the ground, and she'll stop, and she'll pick it up, and, you know, and she's walking along one day, and there's, like, a penny on the ground, and nobody picks up pennies, right, you know, because they're, like, you know, ugly and dirty, and, you know, they're just not worth much, you know, and it, 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 she was, she's walking by, and the Lord stopped her, and he said, you stop, and you pick up that penny. He said, I care about that penny, and he, he began to real, reveal to her that the things in this world 
that he created that other people think have been too abused, they're too dirty, they're, fe- they're, they're in places they're not supposed to be, they're, they're, they're lost. Jesus says, I care about the pennies. And so as I'm sitting there talking to my wife last night, she was like, you know, there was a time when Jesus had to remind me about my relationship that he cared about my box. And for some of you in here tonight, I, I would imagine that's very much the case for you. See, what you know is that your box is stained, your box is dirty, your box has been places it shouldn't have been. Listen, there's things you've put in your box that ain't nobody proud of. You don't ever want anybody to know about that stuff. And you're not sure if anybody would ever care about your box. If anybody in this world would ever find your box attractive. And I think if Jesus were here, he would say, I care about your box. I care about the pennies and the things nobody else values, and I care about your box. The things that you think nobody else values, he values more than you can imagine. And you see what the Lord did for me? As he began to clean up my box. He began to take out of my box a lot of the things that I had put in there that, to be honest, I didn't even know would ruin my future marriage. But he was wise enough to lead me to those things, to help me to repent of those things, to restore those areas that I had already broken. He did the same thing for my wife. And he began to clean up our box. Because that's what Jesus does. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that heals. He's the one that restores. See, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus did this wonderful thing. This wonderful, terrible thing. Where literally, if you think about it like this, he knew that you would be sitting here tonight thinking about all the junk that's in your box that you don't want anybody else to know about, that you just wish you could get rid of. And he took all that stuff and all the sin associated with it and all the shame associated with it and he took it to a cross. And he died on that cross to pay for all of that stuff so that it could be cleansed, it could be wiped away. And just for illustration's sake, my wife told me this. She gave me a gift a while back. She said, you got to show him this. She said, because when I met you, I thought your box looks like this. I didn't even know you had that box. See, when my wife wet, met me, I'd been saved for a few years. I'd given my life over to Christ. And when she looked at my box, she thought it was a treasure chest. <laughs> she didn't even know about all the stuff that used to be there. Because of the work that Jesus had done in my box. Can I tell you something tonight? If you're in here tonight, and you know your box is jacked up, you're not alone. You're surrounded by a whole lot of people who've had their box cleaned up by Jesus. Restored by Jesus. I would say this, Jesus would love to take control of your box tonight. See, maybe this area of dating is the area that you've never really turned over to Jesus. You've done pretty good at being Christian in all these other areas, but there's, there's still that one area that you never really gave up. 
And because you never gave it up to him, he never cleaned it up. And he never figured out a better way to do it. For some of you, you still find yourself in destructive habits and destructive dating relationships because you've yet to let Jesus into this area of your life. Jesus wants your box. He's the only one worthy of being Lord of your box. And I promise you tonight that for some of you in here, he's the only one that can teach you how to do relationships right. He's the only one that can forgive you for the things you need to be forgiven for. And let me speak for just a moment to those of you who have suffered at someone else. You've been abused in some way. Nothing will ever make that right. Vindication, revenge will ever make that right. But Jesus can bring a healing into that area like you can't imagine. You can't imagine what's on the other side of handing your box over to Jesus. And so tonight, as we close out the service, I want to give you guys just an opportunity just to begin to seek the Lord. For some of you, it's going to be to hand over your box to Jesus. Some of you need healing. Some of you need forgiveness. For others of you, there's some things in your box you know you need to get rid of. And the Lord's kind of bringing those things to your mind right now. I want you to be brave enough to hand those things over to Him tonight. He's still our all-wise Heavenly Father that wants more for you than you can imagine. And He's done His best by giving you His Word, that we're reading truth out of, his spirit that is convicting your heart right now, and his people who you're surrounded by that love you and want to help you do this the right way.